mother, it's time for another episode of Birds with Friends. Just a trio of feathery brethren, weathering any season to see the Eagles eating teams like Scrammy's top with cheese. It's Philadelphia, Bo Sheel and Zach kicking it cooler than three penguins till Zach runs off with his valet keys. He's a real nuanced goose. Pull up a branch, get loose. It's time for some juice on some Birds with Friends. The early bird gets the worm, but prefers getting turned like a turn on some Birds with Friends. Bo Sheel and Zach coming at you with steps and things flapping their wings on the relationship between Zach and Coach Flynn is Shield's kind of sliding this category too almost like as a benevolent leader Shield has slowly phased me out of the drawing business with Ted Wynn you know Z-Burm you know, loves his John Carroll shout outs on here and there's no ill will you know it's all good none at all hello everybody and welcome to Birds with Friends it's a Wednesday we are just over a week away from the NFL Draft. We talked to Howie Roseman today. We talked to Nick Sirianni today. Bo Wolf, Zach Berman, Marissa Dunn, Shield feeling a little bit under the weather. We carry on without him, and we have a packed show for you. Coming up, we are going to talk to three lovely guests. Deontay Lee making his Birds with Friends debut. He will start things off. We're going to talk a little defense, play a game called Am I a Loon? An exciting new game. Uh, then we're going to talk to Dane Brugler, also of The Athletic. Uh, play a little Woodpecker You Rather with our friend Dane. And then, of course, you know what we got to do last. Uh, we bring on the heavy hitter himself, Coach Flynn, to talk about this wide receiver class. So lots to get to. But before we do that, we bring in the Stone Cold Newsman to talk about what we learned from Howie Roseman today. If anything, we send it over now to the Novacare Complex for the man on the scene himself, Zach Berman. Howie Roseman and Nick Sirianni met with reporters on Wednesday for the annual pre-draft news conference that is purposefully intended not to answer anything of su- of substance <laughs> or value, and I think Howie would tell you as much. But it was it was the first time that Howie Roseman addressed the trade with the New Orleans Saints that 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 we discussed a few weeks ago, and Howie mentioned that they that they wanted to balance out this year's draft. And next year's draft, uh, it's something they had been looking to do. And that also they they didn't want to be in a situation where they were paying three fifth-year options on, on So I uh, think this players. part is bogus, but I'll Yeah, so uh, so that was the, the big takeaway from the, uh, the, from the first part of it, the most newsworthy part of it. Howie Roseman spoke, you know, philosophically about a handful of issues, said that They've always been working with their coaching staff on it, so it's it's not as if they're on on the board. So it's it's not as if the coaching staff is more involved last year than in previous years. He said that regarding uh, pre-draft injuries, like you see with David Ajabo, like you see with uh, Jameson Williams, that the the timing of the injury is is significant to them, not just in terms of the recovery, but in terms of the amount of information uh, that that they're able to glean from it or as as far as how that player is doing. So just something to think about there, particularly because the Ajabo timeline is more similar to the Sidney Jones timeline. Uh, he he spoke about the the uh, the role that psychological testing plays in it and how they bring in, um, or, the, or, the, or they're their own team that is involved in the psychological testing. Big Dom DeSandro shout out. Yes. Um, and the most important part of the press conference for Bo Wolf, I know, was references to Andy Studebaker, mm. 
and Chris Gokong, and yes. I'll let you explain those. Oh, I don't think they. I don't okay. think they need any explanation. Anytime you have a press conference, you might as well drop a drop, drop a Studebaker, drop a Gokong, right? Yes, he was talking. It was it was a, some convoluted uh, explanation, uh, sort of uh, filibustering about the difference in like the information they have now, and that you can you know a guy from Fayetteville State you can just pull up on your laptop and watch everything you need to see, and instead of back then when you had to like load in a DVD and it, it took some actual work, there's he, there's not as much guesswork, and he says that uh, like the top hundred players is much more uniform across the the league than it, than it would have been you know 15 years ago. To that note, here's a piece of uh, breaking news, if you will, that you will know their third-round pick. They mm. will not draft someone in the third round who you have never heard of before. Mm. Howie Roseman said that on the record today. <laughs> I'm trying to – there was a um, – the best example of them drafting a guy from my time at the Eagles that, that we didn't know was when they drafted Dennis Kelly in the fifth round. Who, really? Like, he, he was not written up by any of the big uh, places. Like he wasn't on – I think he wasn't even on NFL.com's like database, but – but uh, Dave Spadaro, enterprising reporter that he is, was able to get Tony Pauline on to give the scouting report. Tony Pauline knew all about Dennis Kelly and his big feet. For me, his <laughs> big feet. Uh, for me, the example of that was Brian Mahalik. Uh, mm. I, I I did extensive pre-draft work as I tried Long to do each, each each year, where I try to know every player that that could potentially be drafted. And Brian Mahalik was someone who was not on my radar then. No, no relation to Chris Mahalik, the former uh, Major League Baseball pitcher, now a uh, minor league pitching coach. I'll take your word for it. Um, you know, there was one like very small aside that Howie Roseman said today it was the only thing that that made my ears perk up, that ma- gave me like some indication of of the way they might be thinking. He was talking about I don't remember even what it, it was in response to, but he was talking about just like guys who have rare traits in their body and to me it was an indication that that they do indeed like jordan davis and and they would they would be in on jordan davis if they could get their hands on him because there aren't that many people on this earth who are right like guys that big who move like that like they're just there 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 aren't any of them so that's uh, interesting i i sort of stick by i've settled now in on like if they th- what they would like is one of uh, Wilson, like uh, Garrett Wilson, Jamison Williams, Kayvon Thibodeau, Derek Stingley, Kyle Hamilton, Jordan Davis. I think that's their six that they would like to get one of those six at fifteen, or to move up from fifteen sure. four. And uh, and and to that point, and Howie was honest about this that the the. Uh, they don't know where the quarterbacks are going to go this year, and, and that's a big variable. And he, it's interesting that he answered that in relation to to comparisons that a reporter, Jeff McLean, made to the 2013 class. That 2013 class, as you remember, not a particularly good quarterback class. Um, and EJ Manuel was the first one taken, middle first round. He caught us straight but, today, yeah. But uh, but I actually think what's what's more relevant to look at is the 2014 class because that was the year that there was ambiguity in terms of how the quarterbacks would go off the board. Uh, if you remember, Blake Bortles went earlier than people expected. Johnny Manziel went later than people expected. And the reason why that's relevant is 
part of the reason why the Eagles did not get their intended targets that year. That's the famous year of mm. six guys that they thought would fall to them and or that they thought one would fall is because they thought Johnny Manziel was was going before the Eagles drafted, right? And so, um, so I, I bring that up as a way of saying that the best case scenario for the Eagles this year is if Kenny Pickett or Malik Willis go in the top 10. And if that's the case, then a good player is going to fall to you. I, I, I got to think that, and I, I don't know this, but the Eagles board does not have Pickett and Willis in the top 10, right? Uh, because I, I think if that was the case, they probably would have held on to some of their draft picks and tried to move up to get those players. Um, but uh, so if, if, if that's the case, and if Pickett and or Willis go in the top 10, then, then one of your top 10 guys is going to fall to that 10, 11, 12 range. So maybe then you try to trade up with the Jets uh, to jump Washington, let's say, or to jump Minnesota. You know, Washington's a team that could be in the Kyle Hamilton market. Minnesota's a team that could be in the Stingley market. Um, I'd say Minnesota's a team that could be in the uh, Kayvon Thibodeau market. So we had that piece the other day where we we kind of identified those three guys as, as clear three trade-up players. Um, so I, I would particularly pay attention to when the quarterbacks go and if the Eagles can trade up to that, to that 10, 11, 12 area. And as part of the uh, best case scenario mock draft, which, which I published on the athletic today, I was, I was looking at the recent history of uh, trades from the, you know, 15 area and the 18 area trades up from the 15 area trades down from the 18 area. And it's not like, it's not as simple as saying a third round pick uh, gets you to 10, for, but that is the most recent trade from 15 to 10 cost a third round pick. The Eagles gave up a third round pick to move up two spots last year from 12 to 10. So my guess is the market has changed a little bit. It would maybe be like a third and a fourth or a, or a third and a future third, something like that. Um, but like having 18, I think is so interesting because like there's a case, like I feel like what the Eagles ideal scenario would be would be moving up a little bit, giving up a third round pick to get one of the guys who they think can be an, an actual like future Pro Bowler, impact building block player, and then recouping part of that value from 18, moving down to the back end of the first round, and then you can still sort of play with your volume on the, the late late day one and all of day two. Now, obviously, that's easier said than done. Like you can you can think that you have that, and then you get on the clock at 18, and there's nobody willing to move up. But I, I sort of sense that, like, you know, Green Bay's got two picks. Kansas City's got two picks. Those win-now teams, I feel like you might you might be able to get some action, especially if you're willing to take, like, a little bit less than than full value. And, and like, for instance, the Packers moved up from 27 to 18 to get Jair Alexander. They gave up a third-round pick. The problem is that all of those recent picks, all of those recent trades, had those back-end teams. They also had early third-round picks, and there are no early third-round picks for those teams this year, I know that I'm uh, rambling, but uh, I think so. It's going to be a little bit more complicated than just a straight third round pick, but we'll we'll see what happens. So it's interesting though that you identify the potential trade up candidates as teams that would be trading up for say a, a wide receiver, you know, Kansas City, Green Bay, mm. because I was thinking before you said that that wouldn't the uh, Eagles just take them? No, Sorry, well, 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 that too, but but that kind of a, a good scenario for the Eagles would be. Let's say two quarterbacks go in the top ten, and then no quarterback goes until eighteen, and someone wants to trade up to jump Pittsburgh, right? right? Because if 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 you think, all right, so let's say Willis and Pickett are off the board, and whether it's it's Desmond Ritter, Matt Corral, 
if there's a quarterback you like and you're afraid Pittsburgh's going to take a quarterback of 20, then you right. probably want to jump in front of Pittsburgh. So whether that you're talking about uh, Detroit, whether you're talking about, um, I don't know, pick your team in, in, in the 20s that might be interested in a quarterback. Kansas uh, City? Yeah. Green no, Bay? No, no, not Kansas City or Green Bay. But 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 Detroit, you know, I, I'm I'm curious if if Detroit would 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 give up, you know, 32 and and they also have 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 an, an, a very early second round. Well, yeah, like 35. 34. Yeah, something yeah. Like that. So so there's some some trade. I mean, if you could get that pieces. all day long, I feel I, that well, I feel like that's yeah, not going to happen. I, w- I was thinking not both of them, but if if you can get their their first and uh, you know their first and a third or. Or maybe you get next year second. You know, they're loaded with draft picks next year, too. Mm. You know, they have two wants next year. So, something to think about. Okay. Well, uh, we'll get into all of that. We've got another episode coming later this week. But uh, for now, we'll take a little break and be back with Deontay Lee talking uh, talking defense, talking M.I. Loon, and uh, being a recovering Eagles fan. All right. Very exciting whenever we get to introduce uh, somebody new to the extended Birds with Friends universe. Uh, And so we are thrilled now to have on uh, a new member, a new colleague of The Athletic, uh, who has been uh, covering football for a long time, knows what he's talking about. Deontay Lee, thank you for joining the show. Man, thank you guys for having me. It feels good to be here as somebody, you know, all my friends know that I kind of identify myself as a recovering Eagles fan, but it's nice to be able to come here and kind of, you know, relapse a little bit and and really kind of lean into, you know, some of the things that that have made me so passionate about football over the years. And you're just pandering to our listeners right there. They're going to be all about you now. (laughs) Absolutely. Right. Well, as we as we said before we started recording, Howie Roseman today name dropped. Andy Studebaker and Chris Gokong, so it's like he's pandering towards the uh, oh, like the linebacker obsessed Eagles fan sicko. So uh, he knows what he's doing, and you're rocking the Eagles starter jacket. So we yeah, like absolutely. to see that as well. Uh, so it's uh, it's a busy time. Obviously, you have uh, you have been all over the place. Uh, we really enjoyed the conversation on the Robert Mays pod and the Charles McDonald pod this week, um, and it seems like you're you have been focused on defense. So maybe we'll we'll tilt the conversation that way. But we're go- what we're going to do is play a new game called Am I a Loon? And we're going to throw out some uh, some crazy takes. You tell us uh, if you think that we're, we're crazy or if, or if you are tempted to agree with us or not. I'm all ears. All right. Uh, Zach, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? You go first. Uh, am I a Loon that uh, I know that they are not similar body types or skill mm-hmm. sets, but that Aiden Hutchinson uh, might be Bjorn Werner. Wow. <laughs> okay. We're stepping in the door with looniness. I see. Um, I don't know that I would draw those two quite so as a way as one to one comps. So, so yeah, I guess, I guess we'll dismiss that one as a loony take then. Um, one of the, one of the things I will say about Aiden Hutchison that's been really interesting now is because the Trevon Walker hype seems to be getting louder to the point that's making me believe that maybe it's not a smokescreen for what they right. want to do at one, but real interest. I'm almost fascinated to see what that means for like Detroit and Houston, right? Like this, a, the way that I was looking at the draft coming in is that Carolina is a team that's kind of holding the lever, right? Whatever they decide to do at six will tell us about what's going to happen between like eight and 15, or I think there can be a lot of movement, but it's something like an Aiden Hutchinson mini slide. Cause it's not like he would leave the top five were to occur. I wonder how that would influence the rest of the draft um, behind it. Am, am I a loon to think that it, it, <laughs> it's is always that the way fun when we can get Zach to actually okay. play along with the game? Okay. <laughs> am, am, am I a loon to think that if you disregard the athletic testing, 
or anything of that nature, mm-hmm. and the positional value. And you just look at at, at the way they played on Saturdays, mm-hmm. that Kyle Hamilton is the best player in the draft. You are not alone for that. And I think that I actually think that it speaks so highly of his tape that the four six ish time that he put up at the combine almost didn't really budge anybody's real opinion on him outside of like, oh, it's a bummer that he's not also a top, you know, a 95, 95th percentile athlete. But if you turn on the tape, I mean, what what could possibly dissuade you if you already walked in with the belief that he's the best defensive playmaker in this draft? Because it's just it's dripping all over his tape. The one thing I will say that it is a concern, and I think that that's kind of justified in the athletic testing, is that he just might not be a guy that can like cover true slots high-level slot receivers, right? He just might not have that top-end speed or the lateral agility that you might need to deal with those types of guys when they have those two-way goes. But it's not loony at all to still feel like he is the best defensive player overall in this draft. And so with that limitation, do you feel like, um, like would he be worth trading up to, say, 10 for? I would still say yes. I still have him as a top 10 guy in this draft. So I, I wouldn't protest at all if a team decided to move up to 10 for him. I know for me in um, in the mock draft that I did that ran Monday, I had Philadelphia trading up to 10 to get Derek Stingley. But it was between those two, mm-hmm. right? It was basically a coin flip trying to get them a defensive playmaker in their backfield. And he definitely would merit trading up for trading up to get at the number 10 spot. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. What, we've, what we have sort of said is... Uh, we sort of agree that like the three guys that they would be willing to move up to uh, move up for to like, you know, the eight ten range mm-hmm. are Stingley, Hamilton and Thibodeau. Now, Thibodeau is mm-hmm. probably not going to make it that far. But if he does slide, I think they'd love to get him. Uh, yep. do, you, do you agree with that? And and like, do you think those guys would be the, the, the caliber of player worth moving, moving up for? Absolutely. To answer the latter part of your question, and I'm not surprised that that would be kind of the short list. Um, I think that they fit what Philadelphia would like to build defensively. Um, And I think that it would address, obviously, some major needs within this defense, trying to get more, I guess, explosive playmakers. The same way we talk about wide receivers, um, you know, on the offensive end. Like I do think that they need more just explosive playmakers, whether it's getting tackles for losses, uh, sacks, you know, interceptions or passes defended. You know, there were many points last season where it was almost a foregone conclusion that Philadelphia wasn't going to be able to get the stops that they needed because they couldn't get enough production in the backfield. So I think getting players like that makes it more likely that you can do those types of things or force turnovers, et cetera, et cetera. And I definitely think that's something that was missing throughout the year for the Eagles. So if we can get into it a little bit, give, take us through like the recovering part of the recovering Eagles fandom. So it's funny. It's actually, I mean, I still remember it all. Obviously, every Eagles fan would was the Super Bowl against the Patriots in uh, 2017. I just remember everybody else in my family went to a Super Bowl viewing party and I stayed home. And I sat right on the corner of the couch that's closest to the TV. And I maybe said like four words from the time the game started until the sack strip that Derek Barnett recovered where it was kind of imminent that the Eagles are going to win, right? Um, And I, I just remember sitting after that play happened and I was like, it will never be better than this for me. There is nothing that can happen in the rest of my Eagles fandom that would ever feel better than ever feel better than this. Yeah, that's right. And knowing what I know of the NFL uh, and the way things go when you win a Super Bowl, as a matter of fact, I'm sure the next five years are probably going to be pretty painful. And what do you know? So I, I decided then that this is as good a jumping off point as possible. I get to leave on top like John Elway, and that's exactly what I planned on doing. And I've been what a you know. Call. I, Absolutely. (laughs) And so I I still watch, obviously, you know, this is a team that I grew up with. So I still watch and enjoy. I just can't live and die with the results the way that I used to. It would drive me insane. 
Well, it's like uh, some 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 friends of mine have said, like that cured them, like the, the yes. Super Bowl, like re- reaching the mountaintop. It's like it, they still matter, like if they still watch, it still cares, but it doesn't like ruin their week. Uh, oh, one hundred percent, like it did to the same degree. Yeah, I mean that that absolutely patched up my 2001 to 2004, you know, era of just heartbreak after heartbreak after heartbreak with these deep playoff runs that never resulted in the Super Bowl. What was what was the low point for you? Easily the first the first time playing the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Okay, just because of the playoff run that preceded it, you get fourth and twenty six. They beat Atlanta. You know, they have with the icon quarterback that was Michael Vick at the time. Everything looked like you know it might have happened, especially after losing in NFC title games in years prior. Right to me, I felt like they finally got the explosive playmaker and To. This offense is kind of humming now. I think they filled all the pieces that you need to be a Super Bowl winning team, and they just kind of came out and just laid an egg. It would have been one thing if it would have gone down been back and forth the entire way but it was pretty clear early in that game that new england was just a better team better prepared team and was able to take away what philadelphia wanted to do offensively really really well and they kind of were fighting an uphill battle with that and obviously the fallout from there with to feeling like the organization didn't have his back and you get the workout video in the driveway and then all of the fallout with him and donovan and it was just so it broke my heart so much so yeah 2017 definitely did a lot to kind of patch that over because i was hurting as a kid when that happened I think I think you are speaking directly to the audience, so that's uh, that's 100%. good. One hundred percent. All right, I'm, I've got a uh, am I a loon for you, but but okay. uh, I like I thought that this was a, a good take, and then I heard uh, your Charles McDonald pod, and it sounded like you you maybe agree. Am I a loon that that Lewis seen should be like a, a top twenty, top twenty five player in this draft? Not at all, not at all. I think on that podcast, what I said was that the gap between. Excuse me. The gap between he and Kyle Hamilton is way small, exponentially smaller than the gap between Lewis Seen and every other safety in this class. Wow. Even uh, Dax Hill. Even Dax Hill. And that's okay. my opinion. And I think a lot of it is just going back and watching him closely, you know, to see if he was more than just a tackler, which is what he is obviously kind of known for coming into this draft yep. as being a great open field tackler, somebody who can show up in the box and help you run support and those types of things. But you see him deep down the middle of the field, whether he's dropping to a half, playing quarters, whatever the case may be, he's more than capable of doing those things. And if you're bringing somebody who's a dependable tackler, somebody who's been a four-year contributor for a defensive coordinator that's of the caliber of a Kirby Smart, right, and you bring in that versatility as well, I think that he can step in the NFL. That is exactly kind of the proto type of what you'd want in a safety you know at, at the nfl level is lewisine so i think the world of the guy that's the guy i'm kind of standing on the table for in this draft no, i was actually like that. surprised that that uh for someone like him who who was i don't want to say the the best player on the field but one of the best players on the field in the national championship game won the mvp right so that's the biggest stage you have mm-hmm. uh has the frame he has and and, and ran what he did and yeah. it's from the defense he did I thought that would be a guy who in the pre-draft process would be seen, like Bo said, as a top 20, top 25 guy. Uh, behind the scenes, is that the case? Or are, uh, is the NFL late to the party as the media is late to the party? I think it's been kind of a slow burn you know, for, for him. And I think a lot of this, I think ultimately the combine was exactly what he needed. I think he needed to go and show like, I'm a legit 6'2", I crossed the 200-pound threshold, 
and I run a blazing 40 time. I think that that getting those traits, physical traits on the board for him was probably the most powerful thing. And I think inspired a lot of people to go back and see like, well, does that four, three, four, four speed show up? And then you look at him, you know, play by play and you do see it pop out. You know, you do see how he's explosive, not only as a tackler, but closing space and coverage and things like that. So it's been kind of a slow climb and it's understandable. I think a lot of this is positional value debates as well. You know, it's the reason why it took people a while to kind of warm themselves to the idea of Jordan Davis or Devontae Wyatt being like first round level guys or, you know, premier first round types of players. So I think that it's just kind of been a natural track for him and you know with those three players what they all share in common is that they played with one another and I think when you get a whole bunch of pros on one defense it's easy or it becomes more difficult to kind of suss out which guy really pops off the screen in a way that separates him from the rest of his competition and you know with all those guys they're all such high level athletes and produced at such a high level that I think it's hard to see that unless you go back get all these athletic tests and then you're looking for things that are more specific in this game and I think that's been the reason why he's kind of climbed as much as he has and now speaking of of separation and tears if you will mm-hmm. uh, am i a loon for thinking that as much hype and attention deservedly so that that devin lloyd and nicobe dean are getting that the 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 depth of this linebacker class on day two whether it's christian harris potentially quay walker uh, a Leo Chanel. Um, there's there's chad brian asamoa chad Mula, uh, yep. yeah that 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 you can find like a high level linebacker on day two this year. You're not alone at all. I mean, that's my approach. I think that as we continue to kind of spin this thing forward in the way that football is going now, I think the less justifiable it is to use your fifth year option, the draft pick with the fifth year option on a linebacker, just based on kind of what they're paid. You know, it was something I worked on last week, kind of talking about what it means to be a modern linebacker. And what I found was like, man, almost everybody who's making four to five million dollars or more are pro bowl players at the linebacker spot. You obviously get the special players, your Darius Leonard, your Fred Warners, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Those guys that have those high level coverage abilities or athletic traits or that flexibility to do some different things but basically if you're not getting Micah Parsons level returns in year one on a rookie deal from a linebacker it's going to be really hard to me to justify taking a guy with that five-year contract unless you're talking like pick 30 pick 31 pick 32 so with some of the guys that are not in that first round conversation whether it's Quay Walker from Georgia Chad Muma from Wyoming Channing Tindall from Georgia uh, Ryan Asamoa you know there's a there's a list of guys there's more than a handful of guys Christian Harris is another guy that I'm really fond of that can come in and not only be contributors but potentially be you know day one starter types and if you can find that in day two of the draft and there's just way less justification to stretch yourself or extend yourself to get a Devin Lloyd or a Nicobe Dean who aren't working who aren't walking in as like perfect prospects right like it's not a completely 100% clean evaluation both those players have things they can work on and I think I'd rather just use that pick a little bit more efficiently based on roster construction than on a linebacker. I was a little bit surprised when, when I when I did the exercise to just sort of look through all the pro bowlers and all pros over the past 10 years to see, you know, when they were drafted, where they came from. I was expecting there were going to be more like day three linebackers mm-hmm. and they are all like round one, round two, round three. Yep. Uh, like there's it's Devondre Campbell. This year is the first guy who was a fourth, fifth, sixth or seventh round pick who turned right. out to be an all pro linebacker. Then you've got two undrafted guys. But the question is, do you need that guy? And then you know, then you, then you get into positional value. Exactly. I think because the Eagles have like three picks on day two, and, and maybe more if they end up trading down from eighteen. I think I think it makes sense for them to to take a guy there. 
and mm-hmm. and is Muma your favorite of those guys, or or you like Harris a little bit more? I think yeah. If you're gonna if you're asking me like which sleeper which sleeper type of pick day two type of guy, I think that can turn out to be a near star at the linebacker position. It probably is Chad Muma because he checks so many of the boxes that you need in today's linebackers, which is you know that change of direction ability, the ability to play in space both in zone coverage and in man coverage. I think he could certainly be a more physical player, but he has a great job. He does a great job of kind of pacing himself and fitting the run, knowing when to hit gaps, when he needs to be explosive, when he needs to play patiently. So he can do a lot for you defensively, and he can play any of the linebacker spots you have. So if you're a base 4-3 team, he can play out in space, in the box, in between as that kind of will backer. You know, if you're a 3-4 defense, he can play as a stack backer behind, you know, your defensive tackles. He can be that outside backer that drops into coverage more so than he rushes. So because of that versatility, which, again, is a major piece of what it means to be a great linebacker in today's NFL, I think that a guy like Muma would fit exactly what defenses are looking to do going forward. I don't want to crush a guy necessarily, but am I a loon that uh, Trent McDuffie is not a first-round pick or should not be a first-round pick? I would not pick him in the first round for as much as I think that he can. I think he can play and he has things to contribute. My thing is just that, again, we start talking about drafts, especially in the first round, we're talking about high-level athletic traits. And you're telling me a guy who's sub-six-foot, sub-30-inch arms, man, you've got to be a top-one production. Exactly, like a top .01% producer as a corner. And that's just not what he is. And I think that if you watch him, and again, don't want to crush the guy, but the more I watch Washington's tape, it's like, well, who's that other corner? I think I'd rather have that guy, okay. you know, and that, and that being Kyler Gordon. And I think that his versatility for a guy who's not super long or super tall, I, I see more in him that would kind of intrigue me than I do with Trent McDuffie. I understand that everybody kind of likes the story of a guy who's kind of short and really competitive and, you know, was pr- played pretty well in the Pac-12 <laughs> as an outside Zach corner. shakes his head. Not but his to me, like... For again, first round corners, talking about who else is in that conversation. Derek Stingley, Ahmad Gardner, Kyir Elam, I think, is starting to warm up a little bit at the back end of the first round. He does not fit in that conversation, in my opinion, or Andrew Booth for that matter. So okay. if, if that's the competition we're talking about for corners in this class, I don't think that he plays at that level. And I don't think that he projects to be at that level of player because of his size right now. Unfortunately, right, I feel like less of a loon. <laughs> now, now I can be uh, seduced by like recruiting rankings or mistresses. You know, the, <laughs> no, the, big, <laughs> the, uh, the big names in the drafts. I, I, or, or I, I should say the big names going into a college football season. Rather, mm-hmm. uh, so I, I confess to that. But am I a loon for being kind of befuddled here that the Marvin Leal is seemingly dropping down? You know the the supposed draft rankings, draft boards. When and watching him at, at Texas A and M, he played all over the line. He he had production. Um, he was you know he he was a pedigreed player coming in, and he he did what you would expect him to do while there. And now because I I, I don't know if it's because he he ran poorly or he's kind of a tweener that he's he's kind of fallen out of that first round clear second round range. Am I a loon for being surprised by that? Um, yes and no. So uh, I'll say, I'll say why yes first. I, 
it's and it's part of what you were kind of laying out in your question. It's because he's a tweener, and then he didn't put up those you know A plus athletic numbers, right? Having a five flat forty, you know, jumping sub thirty inches on the vertical, you know, sub ten foot on the broad jump for a guy who's six four two eighty, you know, who walks in with length, like you would like to see him at least put up something that's going to make you believe that if you were to flex him out to the edge if need be, or play him as a three technique, that you might get some kind of dominant performance from him. And it's not to say that he can't be that player. I just think that coming in, he was probably a little bit overhyped, you know, based on, I think, some of his measurables and production numbers. And I think now we're probably just evening it out a little bit more based on where he's at physically. So I think that where he's at now is probably a little bit more proper for, I think, the player that you're going to get in the pros uh, more so than what I think the conversation was going into the season. One of one of the thoughts I have about what the Eagles might do is because they need you know they need they need defensive end help and defensive tackle help long term. Mm-hmm. Uh, they might try to do something like they did with with Milton Williams and find one of those tweeners who can maybe answer both questions. Is there a guy uh, like you know like the Logan Halls, Zachary Carters, Josh Pascal, and and uh, Leal, who you just talked about, who who you like most of those tweeners? Logan Hall is the guy of those that I think is a tweener that you can really do a lot with. Um, you know, one of the first podcasts I did once I started working here uh, was with Robert Mays, and we were talking about defensive tackles, right? And Fletcher Cox and Aaron Donald, you know, were two of the guys that I brought up. And, I'm, and I, what I was saying is, in five years, will we have any more defensive tackles that kind of fit that mold, that old school three technique or the guess the modern three technique where a guy can play at, you know, lighter than 295 pounds and still be very productive or play at 300 plus pounds and be productive because of their pass rush ability. We don't see very many dominant pass rushing three techniques now. More times than not in the NFL, what you'd rather do is take like your second best edge rusher who has some size and line him up inside, right? And then bring your third best edge rusher and now you're just gonna you're kind of flooding the field with your best pass rush guys instead of just using your base three technique defensive tackle on passing downs so because of that it's kind of hard to come by those guys so logan hall is the one that i think that might be able to fit the mold um that we're kind of talking about guy who's 6'6 260 pounds very athletic plays well with his hands. I think he's been adding weight basically every year that he was at Houston. So who knows where his frame can top out at. I mean, I do think that he has even more growth potential. And I think the more refined he gets as he kind of gets used to playing a little bit bigger, I think the more production you'll get out of a guy. So if you were able to get a guy like him round two, round three-ish, you're probably going to get starter returns pretty early and a guy that you can probably keep around for multiple contracts. If the draft plays out, sort of like the the quarterbacks don't go early. The Eagles have to go up and get somebody that they want from 15. Let's let's say they trade up to get Stingley, uh, like mm-hmm. you have in your mock draft, from 15, not not from 18. Then they right. get to 18. There's no one they love. Like uh, the, the good receivers are off. Karloftis has been taken. They're not getting a good offer to move back, but the quarterbacks are still on the board. Am I a loon that if they've gotten like a, a stud player with the first pick and there's no one there they love, that it's worth just taking the swing on Malik Willis if he's there. I was going to say, if it's for Malik Willis, yes. If it's for any of the other quarterbacks, I'd say no. And I think a lot of it is just because of the infrastructure that I think they're trying to build on offense now while Jalen Hurts is still the starter. That's not to say that just because you're running offense a particular way now that you can't pivot if you brought another guy in. But if I'm going to go from a guy who's at least a good enough starter to be able to lead you to the season that, that Philadelphia had last year, the only reason why I would go looking in the first round the very next offseason 
for a quarterback. It's for somebody who has those traits that can maybe turn into an right. all pro level producer. And I think that Willis is probably the only guy that that's available in the draft that has that kind of ceiling. So if you're going to make a move for a guy for a quarterback, particularly, I say Willis, if, if not, and they're not in love with anybody else, that's when I think you start shopping to a Detroit, to Kansas City, to Green Bay, one of those teams who has, you know, some some draft capital between 20 and 40 that might be looking to move up and maybe grab a particular type of player. Yeah, I think I think they would love to move down from 18 if they can. Mm-hmm. Now, I've, I, I've done some work on this tight end class because I, I, I figured that the Eagles might be in the market for a number two type tight end. Mm-hmm. Am I alone in, in not being particularly impressed? I'm very by, happy to hear you, you play along. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Am I alone for not being particularly impressed by this group? Like, I, there's 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 nothing here that really jumps out to me as, you know, I, I think they're fine, but I, I, I heard going into the draft that this is a good tight end class, and I'm kind of unmoved by this class. I'm I'm right with you. I'm not blown away by anybody in this draft class. You know, I'm looking now at um, Dane Brugler's beast, right? And I think he only has like five guys that he would say are like third, solid third round levels, second to third round level selections. And of that group, none of those players are really like high level pass catchers or guys who add any type of explosive element to your offense, yeah. right? Think about Jeremy Ruckert, who I think will probably be better as a blocking tight end than as a receiver. Um, same with like Jelani Woods. It's kind of a ball of clay. And I know that that, that, that can really intrigue a lot right, of guys. You're talking but yourself I, into it. Yeah. I, but you know, you're not, you're not talking about a high level producer, right? You're just talking about body types or something like that. You know, I, I don't know if that's going to turn out the way that someone might hope. And then everybody behind him outside of like a Grant Calcaterra, who I feel like has been in college for as long as I <laughs> I was in college, you know. Um, so you know, I don't I don't know if you're getting high level returns out of any of these guys. I'm not in love with any of them, and, and I can't imagine using a day two, day three pick on them unless you're getting you know a Calcaterra type where it's like we're not going to be asking him to do a bunch, and if he turns into something great, if not, then it's you know no harm, no foul. Do you have uh, any takes of your own that you feel like uh, you might be a bit of a loon about, Deontay? Oof. Let me give that some thought. Am I a loon? Well, I guess we'll bring it back to to the conversation in a draft. Am I a loon for thinking that everybody is on crazy pills with Trevon Walker? I totally agree with you. Uh, and 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 I heard your conversation with Robert Mays about this, but like we're really talking about like using the first overall pick on a guy who didn't sack the quarterback. Like I, I, I know that there, like I know that there is there are mouths to feed on that Georgia defense. And you can talk yourself into the same thing with with Jordan Davis, but like for an edge rush, like there is no precedent for an edge rusher with that little production, except the only exception is is Ziggy Ansah, and that was right. a totally different uh, you know thing because the guy didn't play hadn't played football. Right. Um, so like yeah, I I think it's I think it's crazy. I, I just don't I don't get it, and what I keep coming back to is like blind taste tests. If somebody described a player like Trevon Walker to you, there is no circumstance in my mind where you would say, that sounds like the most valuable player in this draft class. That I, I can't right. think of a single draft class where that would be the case with a player like Walker. And that doesn't mean that he, can, that he can't turn into something. I just think if you're telling me best case scenario, he tops out as maybe like an eight to 10 sack player. And you're probably not going to get that eight to 10 sacks until like year three, year four, if not the second contract with this player, 
then no, that that can't be the number one overall pick. I know that everybody's kind of starved for quarterbacks, and this isn't the class for it, and there's a lot of debate about the edge rushers that are available, but you just can't make sense of this to me, knowing that Kayvon Thibodeau is there, knowing that Aiden Hutchinson is there, and then knowing what some of the guys who aren't tier one players are, like... On pass rush, on pass rush ability alone, Nick Benito is more, you know, intriguing to me <laughs> I was gonna ask than Trevon Walker. You know, George Karlaftis and Jermaine Johnson are more intriguing to me as edge rushers than, than Trevon Walker for talking about upside, particularly with pass rush. So, you know, for as much as I think of him, and I do think that I'll stick by what I said with Robert, which is that this is a player that could end up being pound for pound the best run defender in the NFL by the end of his rookie deal. Just because that's a fact and I stand by that does not make him a number one overall pick. So I, I'm going I feel like I'm going to be perplexed next Thursday when we get this draft started. I, it, I'm preparing myself well, well, for it. Well, the it, part I don't ahead, understand with the Jaguars is is, uh, you know, we we keep talking about Hutchinson or Walker. Since when did Cam Robinson become like such a sure thing yes. at the left tackle that you don't take Evan Neal or you don't right. take Icky, right? Like yes. to me, you know, the the left tackles and and especially someone well well both those guys they can play multiple spots on the line if you do want to give Robinson uh, a year right put him in the right tackle, tackle for a year yeah yeah so like I I would go offensive tackle there and knowing Doug Peterson I'm surprised that's not like more of a push there same yeah, I think same it probably tells you who like who was making the decisions yeah, not exactly. that there was any any surprise exactly like this 100% feels like a Trent Balky I have to take the reins back over this organization after the fumble that was last season and I can't um, take Jim Harbaugh's guy ex- yes I think and that I think is the secret is the underlying story to all of this uh, I, I think it would be Aiden Hutchinson if he went to any university that was not <laughs> Michigan <laughs> it reminds I never thought me about that. that that's fascinating I never I, I I hadn't thought about that. That's a real good point. It reminds, like, the whole Trayvon Walker thing reminds me a little bit of, uh, like, Solomon Thomas or even mm-hmm. Aaron Curry, where it's like, mm-hmm. okay, like, we're going to we're gonna talk ourselves into the guy with the high floor. Uh, like, you know, there's there's not a lot of downside. But, like, when you when you don't when you don't take a big swing, like, you, you're, you're just as liable to strike. Like, there's no sure thing about anything. Like, right. everybody is a projection. So if you're not willing to swing big, then then what's the point? Right. And, and also like how how bad is Kayvon Thibodeau in these rooms in these in these interviews? Like Yes. What is that's he really what I'm like, fascinated by is like is he or do people really just think he's just like the biggest jerk in this class? It has it has to be that. Because right, I, what's he I, doing I, walking in and spitting in people's faces? Like must what's going be. on? <laughs> it must be. It must be. I, I don't get it. I absolutely don't get it. And I really don't get it in comparison with the rest of this class. So you know, whoever I think whoever ends up getting Kayvon Thibodeau, that's going to be one of those, hey, when we redraft this thing three years from now everybody's going to be like this was so obvious how did we miss out on this thing that's exactly how i feel like this thing is uh trending based on the conversations that are happening right now all right zach anything left i now this is a great conversation i I can keep going i i don't want to yeah but no this is great okay well deontay uh thank you so much for for spending time we we really appreciate it hopefully we will uh we will have you back soon and and good luck with the next uh you know week and a half that is certainly going to be very busy Thank you both. Thank you, Zach. I appreciate you guys having me and uh, definitely hope to be back sometime soon. All right. Well, we are ready to get going now with the beast himself, Dane Brugler, the man who uh, is counting the days till May. Dane, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? We're doing well, and we don't, you know, we we know you are a busy man, so we're going to try to get you get you in and out here. Uh, 
I know that you take your uh, you, you take those mocks seriously. I know that you you pain over all the matches you're going for, and I have to start with I know that when you do this, you know that it's going to create a bit of a kerfuffle, and maybe you choose which fan base <laughs> you want to give this to, and I and I want to know a was that intentional, and b sell us on your projection of the punt god himself, Matt Areaza, <laughs> to the Eagles in the fourth round. Yeah, you know, I, I was I was talking to our friend uh, Fran Duffy. Uh, Never heard um, of him. Flex. Yeah, <laughs> he's been missed. He's been mis- He's been excommunicated from the show. I, I was talking to him about it and just like, so how much are Eagles fans going to to hate me or love me for this pick? And uh, he said that's exactly it. You'll get you're going to mix of both. So you know, the Eagles have a lot of picks. So why that's not have true. some fun uh, with one of these picks when you get to day three? Uh, yeah, I know that this is an organization that hasn't really drafted special teams, kicker, punter uh, that early. I mean, the last time they did was Alex Henry, right? Yeah, yes. but that was Howie Roseman, too. Right, and, and, and but it didn't, work, it didn't quite work out. Um, <laughs> it didn't. So, but, you know, Matt Arises, he's he's just different. I mean, he set the NCAA record for most 50-yard punts, most 60-yard punts, uh, the, the the best punting average. Uh, and he's also a field goal kicker, kickoff specialist, too. So, uh, you know, if you if you need, you know, if your kicker goes down in, in, a, in a game, you got a you got a kicker ready. So I I don't know. It's could they draft a kicker or a punter uh, on some some point on day three? Yeah, I think it's possible. As early as the fourth round, yeah, maybe not. But uh, at least wanted to throw that one out there. Well, there's an there's an interesting dichotomy that uh, our friends at Puntalytics have pointed out because mm-hmm. you would think that an analytically inclined organization would like. Areza because right. he's not as good at like pinning deep, but you don't want to be punting, you know, near midfield anyway, for if you're one of those organizations. So you want to take the guy who's, who's booming in the open field. The flip side is those organizations are probably less likely to, to use an early pick on a punter. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. And the only the other thing that hurts him a little bit is this is actually a, a pretty good punting year where we're going to have three mm. punters drafted, uh, which is quite a bit. Last year, we only had one. And he wasn't very good. Um, so I, I think there's Catching a stray. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, uh, the Steelers punter. I can't remember his name out of Georgia Tech. Um, but, uh, you know, it's uh, Jordan Stout from Penn State, uh, Jake Camarda from Georgia. Both these guys have a good chance to be drafted and, and drafted fairly early. I think I had him, what? I, I had one punter. I had four, five, six, fourth fifth round, fifth round, sixth round. So uh, all three of these guys could be drafted before the seventh. Well, we know Shield must love uh, Jordan Stout because he's he loves all the Penn State prospects, right, Zach? <laughs> that is correct, as as you can see in our rankings. Uh, and on on that note, I, I do have one mock draft question for you too. Uh, everyone can see on the Athletic you have the Eagles going Jordan Davis at fifteen. At eighteen, you have them going Drake London. And what's interesting there is the pick after that is Jamison Williams. The pick a, a few picks later, Chris Olave. I think Traylon Burks is after that. Um, I brought up the rankings that both Shio and I did because we had addressed those first round receivers. Sell our audience on why Drake London over Jamison Williams or Chris Olave or Traylon Burks. Yeah, and personally, I would go with Jamison Williams in that uh, situation. I think my, my wide receiver rankings, just me personally, are Garrett Wilson, uh, Jamison Williams, Drake London. Uh, then Chris Olave. So uh, I, I, this is a just a really interesting wide receiver class because it's got a little bit of everything. You want size, you want speed. Um, you know, Chris Olave with his polish as a route runner. Garrett Wilson's probably a mix of of all that. Uh, where you know he's you know if you're talking about the best route runner, the best 
uh, you know, catch radius, best ball skills. He might not be number one, but he's probably number two in a lot of these categories. So that's why Garrett Wilson's as high as he is. Uh, but with Drake London, I, I, you know, I, I think you have a, and I, and I heard from a lot of Eagles fans who, you know, a lot of them were, were good with Drake London. A lot of them weren't. Uh, you know, they are making comparisons to other bigger receivers. JJ, I think it was that. Yeah, it's the JJ PTSD. <laughs> I, I didn't want to throw him <laughs> under the bus, but yeah, hit him. Uh, and I, I get it. I mean, I, I understand. And traditionally, there's not really like when you have a hard time coming up with a comp, an NFL comp for a player for a prospect. Sometimes that can be a little bit of a red flag, you know, like when, when you know, someone just doesn't immediately come to mind, you know, for a lot of people, uh, you know, Drake London was comp to like a Mike Evans, but I, I mean, there's a big speed difference there. You know, Mike Evans is going to win down the field with his speed and Drake London, that's just not his game. But, you know, for a guy that was a former basketball player at USC, a lot of those basketball cliches fit, uh, playing above the rim, uh, boxing out defensive backs, uh, you know, all of those. It, that's what he does. Uh, he's got this huge catch radius. Um, he's for a bigger guy. He has lower body flexibility where he's going to be able to create those little pockets of separation. So I, I think that when you have a quarterback like Jalen Hurts, who, uh, you know, give him a big target, a guy that can go, you know, bring throws down from the clouds. Uh, can you know give you those pockets of separation? Uh, even though he might not be the best separator, he's going to give you a little bit of that because he has short area quickness. Um, I, the one thing you really worry about with him is just the vertical separation, uh, and, and that's something that you know you have other guys on your team that can provide that vertical separation, like a Devonte Smith. So um, I think that he'd be a nice complement for your offense um, and, and help out your quarterback. But I certainly understand why someone would be pushing for Jamison Williams with that speed, even though he's probably going to miss the first half of the season with uh, as he works his way back from the ACL. And, and with Chris Olave, I think I, I mocked him to the Eagles at one point. Yep. Uh, and, and, you know, I think the big reason why is because in that offense, that Sirianni offense, it, it really prioritizes guys that are in the right place at the right time at, at receiver. And Chris Olave, it's no coincidence that he is. I mean, that – his route prowess is something that uh, you can really hang your your hat on and why you think he's going to be NFL ready uh, right out of the gate. I mean, he's packaged with clear wrapping paper. You know what you're getting before you open, uh, you know, that gift uh, with Chris Olave. And uh, the thing that you worry about, though, is he's not going to give you a ton after the catch. The uh, physicality aspect of of how he plays is not going to wow you. Um, and, and so those are some areas that you just, you know, some similarities there a little bit with Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith is a lot tougher. Um, you know, he plays much bigger than he, than he looks. Chris Olave, not as much. Um, and, and so I think he's, you're looking at more of a possession threat, but also a guy that can win deep. He has that 4-3 speed. So uh, again, you can make a case for all these receivers, but I think Drake London, uh, there's definitely a lot there that I think would fit with this Eagles offense. All right, Dan, we've got a bunch of uh, woodpecker you rathers here for you. But before we get to those, I, I have one more question on a, on a specific guy. Uh, how far is it, like, is it possible that David Ojabo, like, really tumbles down the board into, like, the third round, given given the Achilles, or do you think he's pretty safely in the second round area? I would say it's more safe that he's in the second. Um, I, and Achilles can be tough. You know, we've seen plenty of players come back from it and be better than they were. But uh, it's still a gamble, and this is a player that you know was probably going to be a, uh, a sub package guy, a backup as a rookie, anyways. And so you know that's just kind of pushes back his development uh, timeline, and so you worry about that a little bit. I, I think that a team that you know, like I had a, a job of going to the Chiefs in the second round, you know, a team that 
could afford to really take a gamble on a type of player like that who has a, t- a ton of ability, but there's plenty of red flags. So um, I, I, I would be surprised if he fell all the way to the third. I think somewhere in the second is really the sweet spot. Um, you know, I think just after the injury happened, I took a informal poll of like four or five scouts, and it, 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 the result was basically somewhere between 35 and 75. So, okay. you know, there's, there's a chance maybe early third round, but more likely the second. Okay, let's start with some of these these 15-18 pairings that the Eagles could have. Uh, Woodpecker, you rather have Jordan Davis and Traylon Burks or Garrett Wilson and Dax Hill? Um, now, I, I'm, I'm doing this based off of, you know, I guess how I like the players more so than mm-hmm. their exact fits with, yeah, I think that's with fair. the Eagles. First yeah. round, you want to get the best players. For, forget, right, forget exactly. About the scheme, it, yeah. In that situation, I'm definitely taking the latter. Uh, you know, Garrett okay. Wilson's my top receiver. Daxon Hill, I don't think gets enough love. Uh, his versatility in the secondary is big time. He's a really long player. He's young. Uh, the change of direction's outstanding. He's got speed. He could legitimately play outside corner, inside corner, or or split safety and make a big impact for you. So um, I, I would definitely vote for the for the latter there. This is an audio episode, so I just want our listeners to know that when you said Dax Hill doesn't get enough love, Zach started sort of vigorously <laughs> nodding his head. He's very on board with that. Awesome. Well, I, I, and I still want to hear uh, your wide receiver rankings as well. Uh, it's very guys. embarrassing for us to be giving, giving yeah. you our rankings. Exactly. No, hey, this, this, is, this is an opinion-based uh, business. You know, it's mm. just let, don't let your eyes uh, deceive you. Whatever you see is, I think. Know. I think I would say we all agree with you that that like Wilson, Jamison Williams is the top two. Okay. Um, and then I think I think we have we we have London a little bit lower. I'm like I'm like splitting the difference. Whereas like I trust people who love him and I watch him and I don't think he's good. But like I got to I don't I don't trust myself enough to. That's to more generous than you wrote, Well, Yeah. <laughs> That's true. So Olave would be third for you guys. I go, I go Burks three. Yeah, yeah okay. I, um, I, I think I, I, I put London there because I was influenced by you. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, I, I have a little crush on Traylon Burks. And, and so I, I think that I like – but, uh, but I, I would also tell you I had a crush on LaVisca Chenault a few years mm-hmm. ago, and they're, the, yeah. they're very similar type players. My take on Olave is the reason he's more polished is because he played an extra year. He's a senior, and the other guys are all juniors. No, that's fair. I mean, it, and I, I mean, I, and I, I'll – I was a bigger Traylon Burks fan during the season, I think. And then the more I really kind of went over his film and I just, I, there's going to be, there's a little more projection there, you yeah. know, cause he was used so much in the slot and the backfield. They basically manufactured touches for him cause they knew he was the best player on the field. So whatever we got to do to get the ball in his hands. Um, but uh, so, you know, playing a traditional X role or a big slot or, you know, when he's going to have to face press, I, there's going to be a projection there for him to get past that. Now, I, absolutely, he could because I'm a big Traylon Burks fan as well. Um, but I did cool on him just a little bit as as you try to stack these receivers um, and, and Burks, the four five five at the combine didn't help. Um, but, you know, again, you watch him on film. I'm still waiting for someone to find me uh, the play where somebody catches him from behind. So, uh, you know, he, he's got speed. There's no doubt. All right, I'll give you another 15-18 pairing here. Uh, Woodpecker, you rather have Jermaine Johnson and Trent McDuffie or Jamison Williams and George Karloftis? Ooh, that's a good one. Because um, uh, I'm a big Trent McDuffie fan. Um, I, I, I'm just, I was really blown away with him, how, uh, how impressive he is, uh, but both – just on the field, off the field, how smart he is. Uh, he really, really impressed me when I had a chance to sit down with him. Um, 
but I think I would lean the, the latter there just because I, I, I love Jamison Williams and George Karloftis. Uh, and it's funny, it's it's just the differing opinions on Karloftis. They're legitimately uh, scouts and GMs in the league that believe he's a second-round player. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's still plenty that believe he's a first-round player. And we know pass rush goes early, so I, I still I would be surprised if Karloftis falls out of the top you know, 20, 25 picks. I, I would lean. Yeah, I would lean the latter. I think, even though I that that, that is a little bit of a tougher one for me. Um, uh, Jamison Williams. I mean, just watching. You know, forget the tape and everything else. Just watching Alabama on Saturdays, you felt like a big play was happening at any point, just because of Jamison Williams and how uh, how, how talented he is. Uh, of a, Alabama's eleven longest plays last year, tra- uh, uh, Jamison Williams was responsible for ten of them. Uh, this is a guy that just he's more than just track speed too. I mean, it's it's too bad we couldn't see him run at the combine. Because of the ACL, uh, but because he would have really lit it up. But he's more than that. He can set up double moves. He ha- uh, has that. Uh, he can make those ninety degree cuts without sacrificing speed. Um, you know, he he can win down the field. He's a long player, uh, so the catch radius is there. So I even with the injury, even with the ACL, I think I would go with uh, the impact wide receiver in the 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 defensive end where you just wind him up, let him go, and the motor just doesn't quit with Karloftis. You want to hop in, Zach? I do, and and on a on a similar topic here, uh, let's say they take a a D tackle or a, a position other than edge or 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 the wide out at number fifteen. Would you rather wait on an edge rusher Woodpecker. or wait on a wide receiver? Assuming the grades are similar. Um, that's that's a good question. I, I think that um. I, I feel better about getting an edge rusher uh, than a receiver. I think receivers are going to fly off the board. Like, I think these guys are going to go uh, six, seven, uh, maybe more in the first round. Maybe as many as eight as possible. Wow. Um, you know, we, let's just go through it real quick. Uh, Garrett Wilson and Olave, uh, Drake London, Jamison Williams, uh, Traylon Burks. Let's say that's five. Let's say Dotson, Jahan Dotson gets in there. Uh, there's a good chance Christian Watson gets in there. That's wow. seven. Um, and then, you know, that's could crazy. be a wild card. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. And I think when you... not Pickens, only talent, maybe. Someone could Pickens, talk themselves into Pickens, yeah. Sky Moore, possibly. I mean, I, I think that the combination of wide receiver now being the second most expensive position in the NFL, uh, a lot of teams looking at it and saying, hey, let's just get cheaper and younger at the at the position. Uh, and, you know, instead of paying these guys what, what, the, what the market rate is, um, yeah, that's what they're going to look at. And, and wide receivers put points on the board. And so I, I think we're going to see these receivers come off the board really quickly. And if they don't go first, early second round, right. uh, they're going to go quickly. Um, the hit and, rate has just been so low at the position in the first round. It's like it's an interesting it's an interesting dichotomy. And then when you look at you know, the the Justin Jeffersons and, the, you know, it, it, it's, it's the opportunity of, of the one or two or three that, that do hit that get you excited – so yeah, it it is interesting, and, it, and especially a draft like this where uh, you know we just don't the upper class does not really get you that excited, but that middle class of prospects is robust, and and that that's what really gets you uh, excited. And, and the wide receivers are a big part of that. But I do feel better, I think, about the edge rushers, uh, and not just the second round, but the third round. Uh, this is a deep, deep edge rusher group where uh, even though I would argue that uh, edge rusher is the more important position. Uh, it just if we're going to stack the most important positions on your roster, give me the edge rusher. But I do feel better about uh, the edge rushers that'll be available for me, second round, third round, than I do at wide receiver. 
All right, I'll give you a couple uh, lightning round ones, and and you, you let us know what you think. These are okay. some trade up from fifteen, and then trade down from eighteen possibilities for the Eagles. So, in our estimation, like the two guys who are likely uh, an option for the Eagles to move up to like the ten area are are, are probably Derek Stingley and Kyle Hamilton uh, if they fall. So let's go Kyle Hamilton and Logan Hall, the Houston defensive lineman, or Derek Stingley and Georgia linebacker Nakobe Dean. Hmm. That's a, that's a good one. Um, I, I'm a big Logan Hall fan. Um, I, I, I'm a big believer uh, in his inside-outside versatility, uh, can play the three technique, can play on the edge, give him a little bit of a runway, uh, let him use that length, use that quickness. Uh, he's still a young player, just 21 years old, really could have used a red shirt at Houston, uh, but they, they needed him on the field. Um, so I, I, I think Logan Hall has yet to play his best football. I, I like that fit a lot. Uh, and Kyle Hamilton, you know, I, I think he's he's got beat up a little bit, I think, throughout the process. Um, I, a lot of teams just aren't interested in taking a unique 6'4", 220-pound safety uh, early in the draft. Uh, and, and, yes, he did run a 4.70 at the pro day, and that's, that's something that's going to be a problem for a lot of people. But when you watch him on film, I mean, Why nobody, does that pro day time matter more than the combine time? It, it doesn't. It's just the fact that it, that like, it happened, okay. you know. Um, but yeah, he ran a four five nine at the combine, uh, and that's the number that teams are going to use. But I think we, and there, there's literally nobody that has watched Kyle Hamilton film, and their takeaway was this guy's slow. Like it, there's no way um, that, that is not how he plays. And a big part of that is how smart he is. Like even though he yes he he runs a four five nine. Uh, let's let's just say he runs a four four six. Uh, if you take the two times, runs a four six. Even though he runs, uh, he doesn't run a four three. By the time the play is unfolding, he's already on a second step. Like, he's not a, a guy that's going to wait till the play happens and then react and go. Because he's so smart and so cerebral with understanding what the offense is doing, he's attacking before the play happens. And so it's like he's a 4-4 guy uh, because of that, uh, the mental processing uh, aspect of, of what he does. So because of that, I am not as worried about that 40 time at all. Um, I... Uh, because Kyle Hamilton, Logan Hall, the other two were Nicole Stingley Dean. and uh, Dean. Mm, that is tough. I I think I would lean Hamilton and uh, Logan Hall, um, hmm. but I, you could you could talk me into Stingley and and Nicole Dean. I mean Stingley, there's he worries me a little bit. I mean it just you know you flipped the 2019, 2021 seasons. This guy's a top three pick. He might be the number one overall pick. Right. Uh, he was so good that freshman year, but the last two years you don't just Forget that, um, you know, and it wasn't just the injury. It was up and down play as well. Uh, really athletic player, but uh, there are a little bit of holes in his game. Um, and then uh, it, with Nakobe Dean, you do worry about the lack of size. Uh, he plays really fast, key reflow. Uh, but uh, it, once he, you know, if he doesn't beat the blocker to the spot and he has to take on guys, that's where you really worry about him being able to, you know, not having the length, not having the size. Uh, to take on blocks, stack, shed, still make a play. So I, I like uh, Nicobe Dean. I like Stingley, but I, I think I'd go the other direction. You got one, Zach? Well, actually, on on that topic, would you rather, or I guess Woodpecker, Woodpecker you rather, you. trade up from 15 to, say, the 10 to 12 range to get a top 10 player, or, or would you rather trade from 18 to the 25 to 32 range Add more pick inventory, but you're missing out on a guy who might be top 15, top 20 on your board. Well, and I think having multiple first-round picks, it definitely gives them options. Porque um, no los dos. Why not both? 
Yeah, uh, sure. There you go. I, I mean, you could, could, why not? You know, it, it, it depends. I mean, I think it really depends on who you're going up for. You know, I think if you know, you're sitting there at 15, you, you feel good about who's going to be there for you. Uh, you know, who is there? A, let me ask this for to you guys. Is there a player that you think, uh, not necessarily, you know, like th- that would get the Eagles really excited and, and, and at least have them have that conversation about possibly moving up? Is there a player you could see being available in that 10 12 range? I think, I, would, it's, I think it's Stingley, Hamilton, and Kayvon Thibodeau if he happens to fall. And maybe Jermaine Johnson if, if you're sold on him being like a class above the next, you know, a class above the Karloftis. Or mm-hmm. the next edge rushers on the board. Okay, and that I think that makes sense. Um, I think if yeah. you like, if you look at the values uh, of like moving up from fifteen to ten or so, and then moving from like eighteen to twenty-eight, basically, if you're giving up a three as your your main carrot to move up, and then you're getting one back, like I think that is sort of the Eagles' ideal situation. Right. Yeah, and and that's kind of that's the beauty of having these two picks. You could really you, there's a lot of things you could do. Options are wide open, and we'll see how the top ten plays out. Uh, see who falls out of that top ten, and you know at least you start having those conversations. Um, I, I'm all, I'm always going to be more of a fan. Uh, I, I'm always going to be a fan of being aggressive, but I'm also a big fan of trading back and adding more resources uh, in the draft, whether this year or next year. Uh, you know, in order to just have uh, more bites at the apple. And, and like I said, I, I think that the the middle class this year prospect is so deep that loading up on those day two picks is right. is always a good thing. So, you know, I, I would be, while I do uh, support teams being aggressive and going to get their guy, um, you know, trusting, you know, they put all this money and all these resources into scouting for a reason. Um, you know, I, I know it, it, some people are very risk adverse when it comes to moving up in the draft, but if you have a high grade on a player, I, I think you trust that. And, you know, you, I'm okay moving up for him. But at the same time, I would be in favor of moving back, just uh, loading up on that draft capital. It seems the best case scenario for the Eagles would be two quarterbacks going in the top 10 and therefore sure. pushing guys down. Is is that a possibility, you think? Possibility, yes. Um, and that's the thing. You know, I talked to you know all my sources throughout the league, and they all say the same thing. Like, these quarterbacks are going to go. Uh, but, you know, it's – where does that start? You know, that's where everyone's kind of like, well, you know, maybe six or maybe eight or, you know, maybe the Steelers trade up. Like, it's just nobody has any idea of exactly how it's going to play out in terms of the order. Where's the run start? Um, what kind of trade action we're going to see? So uh, everyone's in agreement that these quarterbacks are going to go, but no one seems to have any great feel for where it's going to start, how it, how it exactly is going to play out, which makes it really kind of tough to, to peg. All right, last one. Uh, to a, this is one with a, a couple of my favorites from the draft. So you've got Perion Winfrey, the Oklahoma defensive tackle, and Arizona State running back Rashad White, those two guys. Mm-hmm. Or would Woodpecker, you rather have Brees Hall in the second round and his teammate Ioma Uwazarike? Ooh. So okay, another the, defensive tackle from Iowa State. The better offensive player, the better defensive player, really. I think what it comes down to, um, you know, and uh, you know, I, I think standing next to you guys at Senior Bowl practices, watching Perry on Winfrey just uh, shred. Yeah, I mean, nobody wanted to block him. Nobody. Um, power, quickness, he had it all. Um, I in, in a situation like this, I would lean towards uh, the offensive player. I think, and I would go Brees Hall and. Okay. Uh, 
Uh, nice pronunciation, by the way. That, that was really well done on the Iowa State. Well, I'm, I've literally got the beast up here with the pronunciation guide to make sure I got it right. So hey, those, those are you. as much for me as they are for you and everybody else, because that's I mean, it, some, some of these guys are tough. Uh, but fortunately, twenty three point nine eight years old, according to the beast. Yeah, I think he's a six year senior. I mean, he's yeah. very, he was he's been in college a long time, and you kind of worry about um, you know it. it, it he played his best football in his final year. Like right. it, it was a kind of a slow burn for him. Uh, but he was, he was, he's got versatility. Uh, you can line him up at different spots on the defensive line. You know, you can see him win from the B gap. You can see him win from over the tackle um, quickness. Uh, I, there's a lot to like about the, just the adversity he's overcome uh, in his life. So I, I would lean that direction. Although I do, I, this is not a great defensive tackle class, but Perry on Winfrey is one of the guys on day two where you point to and say, okay, yeah, if everything hits right in the right situation, he gets the right coaching, you feel like this guy could be uh, maybe not Chris Jones, but, I mean, Chris Jones was a second rounder, you know, and have that type of trajectory where he could emerge as, a, as an impact defensive lineman down the road. That's, that's at least a, a, a realistic outcome for him if everything hits right. All right. Well, he is the maestro of the draft. Uh, you all know him. You all love him. Follow him on Twitter at DP Brugler. Of course, read the beast worth a subscription to The Athletic alone. And, uh, you know, good luck over the next uh, two weeks, and then we'll, we'll see you in September. I can't uh, wait for thanks. the 2023 mock draft. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I got to start working on that, actually, because that's got to come out the, the couple days after the draft. Uh, but, no, enjoy the draft, guys. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure to be, uh, be on with you guys, and I'm excited to see what the Eagles do. That's, that's a big, uh, kind of a big uh, domino there in the middle of the first round that's going to determine a lot. So uh, it's going to be excited to see how it plays out. Thank you very much, Jane. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. All right, back on Birds of Friends, and it is time to talk wide receivers. And you know when we talk wide receivers, we have to go to the official wide receiver correspondent of Birds with Friends, the man who holds the record for most touchdowns scored in Amos Alonzo Stag Bowl, the wide receivers coach for the Princeton University Tigers, the official team of Birds with Friends. Coach Flynn, how you doing? I'm great. Meet myself and 19 others. If the other 19 guys are on today, um, Good thing Sheila isn't here because that'd probably be way too long for him. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, all right, you have uh, you have done the work here. You've watched these wide receivers. Certainly, uh, you you uh, have forgotten more about the position than we know. Tell us, I guess, off the top of all these guys, who has the fastest, most vertical stem? Yeah, it's got to be Jamison Williams, right? I mean, he's like his he's the guy who when you put the film on is just running away from people especially Georgia, like nobody ran away from Georgia ever. And he did it for two straight games. So he's the guy that jumps out to me as the fastest, like in a bunch of fast guys, he's even faster than them. So I think that's a, it's a really tough thing for me between him and Wilson because Wilson is so good all around, but Jameson's just so explosive that he by far is the best straight ahead guy. I guess I, before we even get into these guys, the other thing I want to ask you about is this idea of, uh, like finding the right complement to Devonte Smith, like what kind of receiver you want to get uh, for the offense alongside him, is that overplayed? Like if could if you could clone Devonte Smith, wouldn't you just want the same guy? You just want good players. Like if you get the best receiver of this group, you'll you'll make it work, right? Yeah, it's nonsense. Find another okay. good one. You know, oh listen, we have a really good left tackle, but let's find a right tackle that's not as good. That just it doesn't find somebody else that can get separation and create some downfield explosive plays, which is what we lack. That's and, what you're looking for. And, and that's actually the perfect uh, lead way to what I was going to ask you, which is 
you hear this philosophy that you should build your receiving core like a basketball team where, where they all have, have different roles and you talked about creating separation. There's this idea among some Eagles fans that any uh, tall physical receiver who's a jump ball specialist is a J.J. Ortega-Whiteside clone, right? And if you saw the rankings that we did with with you know Bo Shield and me, they were sour on Drake London because he doesn't have the speed of some of these other guys. Uh, do, are are you buying into the notion that a six uh, you know a six four two hundred ten pound receiver who doesn't have speed is not as valuable as someone who creates separation with their feet? I think I think getting open is number one. Like if you don't get open, it doesn't matter. Uh, now, of course, Zach, I did read what you guys wrote on the athletic as always and liked it and subscribed. So I thought that question was over. <laughs> but of course, of course I did. Yeah. yeah. Let's not be ridiculous. Uh, I agree a hundred percent with your first part. Like, I don't think you build a receiving core, like a basketball team. I think you get as many good fast players as you can get that get open. And then, then you figure it out in terms of where I line them up and what plays we run and what do we do? But it's not, I want a fast guy, a slow guy, a tall guy, and a short guy. Like that's just nonsensical. Uh, the Drake London take is a tough one because uh, I re- recall some people with a confidence to Mike Evans. The thing about Mike Evans is Mike Evans had a 90-some yard touchdown against Alabama mm. on tape. Drake London's longest play last year was 44 yards. You know, we have a, we usually like what I do is I watch these clips on YouTube, uh, that your TV right. clips. This year we got uh, in, in the office something called PFF uh, Ultimate, where you can Big sort. I, yeah, I could sort. <laughs> If I typed in Bo Wolf, I could watch all his targets from last year. Yep. So we watched all Drake London's targets, and he's really just not that open. Now, he's spectacular in going up and getting the ball, and if there's a body on him, he's not. He's going to make that play, but he has no other choice because he never gets that much space to him and anybody else. Like, there's no long runs. You know, there's no stepping out of tackles. And he plays big, and he has to. Um, and I do think he, he could be a good NFL player, but to me, he's down the line. You know, I think I think he's. If you look at Wilson, if you look at Williams, even the Alave, Dotson, uh, those are guys are smaller guys, but they're open, and they and they there's long touchdowns on the film. You know, there's home runs being hit. So I guess my struggle is with him is he's just not. If he's not doing it now against guys in the Pac-12 against a lot of zone coverage, you know, are you going to be able to create space against the best corners in the world up in your face? Well, it's interesting because he's been getting some of the uh, the Jalen Rager like excuse making, like, uh, well, his quarterback was really bad. So you're telling us it's it, that was not the case. Like he was not getting open, and and the quarterback was missing him. He was just not creating that space. No, I don't think so. I think the guy that uh, everybody that we watched this week, uh, shout out Nick Turchin, our quality control guy who watched him with me. Uh, the one guy that could probably Indeed. make that case is is Dotson. Jahan Dotson was. Probably had another five touchdowns there. They okay. left some left a good Sean amount Clifford of meat. Shade on. right there. Yeah, <laughs> a, lot of good, good, a lot of good meat Catch on the phone. Love it for him. Um, but I don't think so. I'm not. USC looked like played a, a couple quarterbacks, but they were good ones. You know, like there were some good back shoulders, and he made some ridiculous catches. Like most guys wouldn't, wouldn't make. My concern is if you're the degree of difficulty is going to be that high all the time, and you're not going to be that open. Can that be sustained? You know, I don't. I, it's a there's guys that have done it. I'm sure, but. I don't think that Mike Evans' comp is, is legit to me. But, again, what the hell do I know? I hear all that. I, I just think uh, t- to average 135 yards per game, you need to be doing something right, 
right? I, I, I mean, that 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 doesn't happen just by posting up, right? Like, is there? No doubt. Know? No, I don't think. Again, I don't think my take is he stinks. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think he definitely does a lot of things right. I guess to me is is he in that upper tier of guys? Sure. I think there's a demarcation there, you know, and he's a guy that you're counting on to get quicker, shorter area, which I don't think happens a lot when you move up a level speed wise. But no, he did a bunch of. And, they, they did a good job getting him the ball, you know, where they a lot of quick screens, a lot of underneath stuff. Um, I'm not saying he's terrible, but yeah. I know he, he, he does plenty of good things. Again, I think him in a contested catch situation is probably the best kind of draft. I think it's hard to argue against that. I just think for what the Eagles need, which is we need home runs. Sure. We need explosive plays. You know, even I think you can argue, I'm not the free agency guy, but Debo Samuel would be a good fit for this mm-hmm. offense just because he could, he could, Run, have a 50 yard play every once in a while, whether it's a run or pass, right? Um, so I don't think he, by no means, like, I don't think he stinks, like, you know, don't ever take him under any circumstance. I just, I think the other guys, because of what they do vertically down the field, is, is a better fit and probably have a little bit more value. Well, it's interesting, you know, I've got these very stupid, uh, my wide receiver buckets, of course. We'll love the buckets. I've, heard, yeah, I've heard of them, I've heard love of them, the, love the buckets, and the most like the, the, the highest success rate for, for first and second round picks is the guys who are young, productive, and not so fast. Like you're, t- you're like the guys who are who are slower than 4-5. It's like they're overcoming their speed in college. There's like it's 14 of them hit, only 5 of them missed. One of them unfortunately, Zach, your boy Lavisca Chenault. But uh so you've got Drake London there. You've also got Traylon Burks. Uh and he, you know, he doesn't he doesn't look slow by any means. He but he ran that 4-5-5 as everybody says he's he's the only guy who's uh running away from Alabama. What do you, what do you make of Traylon Burks? Even with with Burks, like I think the film kind of started slow and got better. And I, Burks London to me was very very even until Alabama. He has a long touchdown, you know, catch and run, runs away from him. Ole Miss, Auburn. There's like there's like probably a handful of games against good defense where you see him open it up and 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 hit a home run, you know, create a next play. And I think that's now the difference is I think London's probably a better route runner. Uh, and Arkansas did an even better job creating stuff for Burks than USC did for like, he was in a wing tight end sometimes, you know, and running, splitting across the formation and running flat routes and screens that way. And they did a good job scheming stuff up. He, he's probably a lot more raw as a route runner, but you see some winning against press and, and running away from good defenses, SEC defenses, which again, not, same thing we said with, not a lot of people run away from Georgia and Alabama. Now I'm, I'm fascinated by Ohio state here because uh, uh, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave kept Jameson Wilson. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, kept Williams off the field, right? Amazing. And, That's amazing. And then those and, guys and, and missed, probably should have. Yeah, and then they missed the Rose Bowl, and it's like the receivers on the field were better almost than Wilson and Olave. Uh, what's your take on Wilson and Olave? Are, are are they both as as smooth and and like uh, easy to project as it appears to be? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Ohio State, and I'm from Ohio, so. All of my relatives, none of who went there, are all big Ohio State fans. I have like the license plates and all this other stuff, <laughs> which I'm sure Marissa just thrilled about. Um, but the, yeah, they and now historically they've always had good receivers. You go Terry Glenn, you go to Chris Carter, you can go back, you know, to my youth. But I do think they're. I think those two frontline guys are as as good as advertised. I think Wilson does some more spectacular things. I think he's a little bit more explosive, uh, body control wise. I think he's. A different type of player than you than you see usually. He makes pretty difficult catches routinely, like once a game. 
He hits home runs. Like he kind of does it in terms of a complete receiver. He does everything. I think Olave, and I know Bo didn't like him because he's old, um, <laughs> and he's easy to throw in the Terry McLaren bucket, which is because they played on the same team. But I kind of think he's that kind of guy. And I'm partial to Olave because I remember, like as a freshman, he would like block punts. Mm. You know, like he screams football guy. Uh, he shows up in big games. You know. I do it, think that, like, the Ohio – like, you have to consider that, like, it is a little different at Ohio State. And it's a little bit like the Georgia defensive line, right? Like, there there are more mouths to feed. So, it's a, you know, there's obviously nuance there. No doubt. And even – I've listened to the discussion about the, you know, the Georgia D-tackle. Like, as a D-tackle, the, the sacks measurement is the – it's like points with James Harden right now. Oh, he's 5 for 15. Yeah, but he's 14 assists and one turnover. Mm. You know, as a defensive tackle, if everybody's voting you to, to win the Benerick Award as the best defensive player, right. you must be destroying offensive lines, like ruining run games on first and second down. You know, so – but I, I do think that's a fair point. You put the Rose Bowl on, which I've watched like six times, you know, and, and Jackson flex. Smith and Jigba has 300 yards, and Harrison Jr. is a player, and – you know, there's a five-star guy from Pennsylvania who can barely play because there's three more guys behind him. Uh, but I think they do a good job. They do a good job recruiting. And once they're there, they develop into better players. So, you know, all credit to them. But I do think Wilson is is ahead of Olave. I, I, agreeing with Bo said, with stuff Bo wrote earlier in the week, I wouldn't trade up for Olave, but I wouldn't be brokenhearted if you got him. I think he would love him. You know, he's not Devontae Smith, but he, he'll be consistent. He'll yeah, be well, that's what, that's what worries me. He's like, he's like he, he seems so Nick Sirianni's type. Yeah, I think you hit on the head in the text group this week. I think Mechie is more okay. Nick Sirianni's type, you know. Reach for a guy who's a ridiculously good edge blocker who shows up in fourth quarter and overtime and championship games and is not a great route runner and kind of solves all his problems by going 100 million miles an hour all the time but not being very detailed. Um, I think that – I'll give you credit on that one because you okay. said that earlier in the week when we watched him. Uh, it, give me the comps in this class – who is the uh, who is the Jacob Bermelin? Who is the Dylan Classy? And who is the Andre Yoshivas? Oh, that's boy, that's tough. Good thing they don't listen to this. <laughs> for crying out loud, this is the start of our this is the start of our flirtation with with NIL. Andre Yoshivas, by the way, fourth in the heptathlon in the country. Unbelievable! Right? So Division one, fourth, and that's was crazy. like second or third most of the way. I yeah, I, think, I, I hear that heptathlon is pretty easy. It's well. I had to look up what it was when I got here. Hep is Hep is seven, which I, I should have known that. Twelve years of Catholic school. They never we never cross got country thing. skiing and and rifle shooting is involved here. Yeah, there's pole vault. I know okay. that, which I would never do. Um, it's the short. It's the indoor decathlon. Javelin. So that's yeah. That's what I was told. I tell you what, that was going to be you again. Once again, I'll steal my thunder. It was going to be hey, are there any free agents or late round guys? I'm like Jacob Berman. Get him in the camp. Nobody will be able to cover him. Make a go. team. He's tough as nails. Let's go. Uh, and is it is it Jordan Davis or is it Davis Jordan? Are you asking me? Yeah, I'm asking you. <laughs> uh, it's Jordan Davis. Okay. Yes, yes, okay. I agree with Zach as usual. Yes, uh, I'm I'm curious too, and I'm not just asking you this because of Villanova, Eastern Illinois, Drake, Mount Union, but uh, I I flex. I tend flex. To, That's I, a flex. Bioflex, please. Yeah. Hold on, Zach. I I tend to uh, favor the Power Five conference guys, right? Um, but but when you see Christian Watson or you see Sky Moore or you know I can go the uh, I think Jalen Tolbert some of these these players from Group of Five schools or even from one Double A um, how much better do they need to be than the competition in order for you to 
to I, I guess rank them over you know George Pickens, let's say. I, I, I ask that because you have SEC players who don't have prolific numbers, and then you have one double A players who who are like so much better than everyone else on the field. Yeah, I mean, I think we skipped over a big thing there. Uh, in 2001, I was in the Power Five uh, with my my fellow yeah, Marissa Marissa can vouch for this. Uh, congratulations to Marissa too. I didn't do that. Um, but I think honestly, Zach, I think it's easier now than it's ever been to an extent because the players from FCS from the subdivision that we're in are getting invita- invited to the combine. You know, are going to the Senior Bowl. Like that didn't happen. 20 years ago when I first started, you know, like maybe Steve McNair would get an invite, but you know, like Jerry Rice, you know, those guys, it, it, I think it's, it's easier now than ever, but it's still not easy. If that makes sense. Now, North Dakota state, I think a lot of people view it as a group of five or a sure. five, you know, I don't think, I mean, as as good as they are as many championships as they want. Um, but I, I think that the access is there, but I still think you have to overcome, you know, that person. I think Pickens is a guy that's tough because obviously he was hurt. But like you just watch the little bit that he does against the good teams and he does it, you feel pretty good. Like this guy comes back, he's going to be a huge value. You know, you watch an FCS guy do that. And he's the, the one guy that jumped out to me. I remember Cooper Cup playing Oregon hmm. when he was at Eastern Washington and just dismantled him. You know, two hundred some yards. They couldn't let they couldn't put a glove on him. I'm like, this dude is is the best FCS receiver I've ever seen. But even then, to your point, like that was. Apples to apples, you're lining up against a Pac-12 team, and you're they can't do anything with you. So I think the comparison is is always going to be difficult. The guys are going to have to project, which we do as college coaches in recruiting, and we mess it up all the time. But I think the access is there. You know, I think people are much more. You know, Tony Romo, and there's a long list of guys that I've been around. Brian Westbrook, when I first started going over, that you know, there's there's a proven track record there. And I think people are, are willing to give guys opportunity and eval them and see them in person and invite them. But I still think it's it requires some, you know, faith and some projection on the guys making the decision. But to your credit, the the two receivers who who might have been the best in the NFL last year, Cooper Cup and and Devontae Adams, neither one of those are are power five big school guys. So no doubt. yeah, no I, doubt. I guess you can find them anywhere. Well, that's what worries me about Christian Watson. You know, like, like Cooper Cup has this crazy level of, of production. Even like Jalen Tolbert has that crazy level of production. Christian Watson, I don't. I know that North Dakota State doesn't throw the ball a ton, but like his his production, he, he wasn't dominating. Like the, this no. idea that he might go late first round is sort of crazy to me. Well, and even I think I, I said this to you, Bo. We had uh, a bootleg password for the Senior Bowl one on ones. And so we were like all fired up when senior bowl practice is going on. Then we log on and there's no Wilson, no Olave, right. you know, n- nobody that we've talked about so far. Um, and, and he was there and was just okay. Like all the guys at the senior bowl were just okay. Right. Like you know, they weren't getting open. Like I just, I don't, I think it's more of a projection based on there's not near the, like, just like you said, there's not near the productivity. Um. I know that Shield's not here, but I, I will ask this question on his behalf. Uh, you touched on J- Jahan Dotson before. He he likes a Dotson. Maybe he, he's thinking about maybe he likes him more than an Olave. And then I'll also ask you about Sky Moore because we know how much Shield loves Golden Tate, and he gets those Golden Tate conver- <laughs> comparisons. Yeah, I think that as much as I hate to agree with Shield whether he's here or not, I think the comparison is fair after watching it. And I watched a but. Uh, flex Mike Yersich, the offensive coordinator at Penn State, was yep. a teammate of mine at Mount Union. Uh, great guy. So I watched a bunch of their Zach, film during Zach the year. Zach popped real hard for that for that for that name drop. <laughs> great guy. None better than Mike. Um, so I watched a bunch of them during there, and then rewatched it this week. 
Like he, he's got a little Allen Iverson in him where he's not afraid to throw himself around. Uh, he shows up running away from people. He, he, he'll, even though he's not a huge guy, he'll jump over people and make plays. Uh, he was the best player on the off their offense by a long way. And still, and when that happens as a receiver, they can take you away a lot and people just couldn't do it. You know, he just, he run, he runs every kind of route. Uh, I mean, I think they're pretty close where if you're saying, hey, I don't want to trade up for a lot of but I want to get Dotson later or, or on the next day. You know, I think you're going to be pretty happy with that. Go ahead, Zach. So I in I, I like looking at, let's say, late day two, day three guys. And you look at someone like Wendell Robinson from Kentucky, who, uh, you know, I, I know he transferred from Nebraska. Um, he doesn't have what you would consider the prototypical build but you kind of can't take your eyes off him when you watch him, right? He's, he's, he's all over the field. Um, and I compare that to, say, someone like Kevin Austin from Notre Dame who has everything you want in the profile, right? He has, he has the size. He has the speed. He has a few long catches downfield, but he doesn't have the consistent game-to-game production. Uh, I, I know you're not picking these players, but if, if you're taking a chance middle round, late round, do you favor the guy with the production but not the frame or kind of the, the size-speed combination but not the production? Yeah, I think it depends. You know, like, I mean, the guy, like Bo said Sky Moore earlier, who is is plays unbelievably fast, you know, gets open but probably projects only as a slot. You know, I think what can separate guys that have done a lot and guys that have done a little is when you work them out in person. You know, it's one of the things that kind of tips us over in recruiting is, oh, hey, I – I need an in-person email to, to kind of not an interview, you know what I mean? Not a run the 40 yard dash, but like, let me see you in one-on-ones. Let me see you change direction. Rock, paper, scissors, uh, shoot. <laughs> I mean, it, well, it's just, as, it works out just as easily. I think, you know, percentage wise, it works out just as well. Um, but I think, I think you can argue both ways. You know, it's something, you know, I've had guys that's in high school that, you know, were super productive guys and that carried over and I guys that it didn't, you know, we've had guys that were running offenses, caught 10, 12 passes and then get what, gotten a more pass first pass heavy offense and, and blew up and then there's guys that didn't so I, I think you can argue it both ways you know I think it's the in-person eval of it especially because they can do more of it this year uh, I think it is really the thing that would make the difference for me you know not as much as hey he averaged 40 catches a game and he averaged 80 you know because there could be again different circumstances right style offense quality of quarterback you know all that good stuff but obviously Kentucky has not thrown the ball a ton um, you know, they're run first all the way. Um, but I think I think you can, you know, the in-person stuff, I think, can separate you uh, both good and bad. Obviously, like like high school to college is, is a different transition than than college uh, to the NFL. But like how often do you find that like you think you have a guy's personality nailed as a recruit? He comes in and it's 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 different than what you thought. Yeah, quite a bit, I think. You know, I mean, I think you have a good idea. Like, I don't think it, you know, you're like, oh, man, this guy's a completely different human being. Uh, but, I mean, you're around him in recruiting a decent amount. But when the season starts around, I'm around you every day for four straight months. You know, so you get it. The thing you, I think you never get a sense of is, and even some guys, well, even after you push up four years, is people's sense of humor. Okay. You know, like, there, there's right, not because they're not going to laugh on the recruiting trip. There's just not a change. yeah. It's hey, coach, I'm tough. I want to work. I want to kill. I want to go run routes right now on Christmas Eve. Like, you know, there's a lot of that where I think you, you, you. I think you get to know people well enough. I think you get a good sense of them. Our head coach does a good job of it. You know, like here, our our culture is second to none. You know, we're we bring in good guys, and and I think that's part of the reason why we've been pretty good. 
Um, but yeah, I think you get to like, even in the draft process, right? Like, I mean, oh man, we brought him in for an in-person and we interviewed him for 12 minutes at the combine. And, you know, like, I mean, there's nobody does hoops with him on the Fisher price. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. You know, Dane Brugler like knows where he went to high school and where he went to middle school. Like, but do you know the person? Second I mean, I oldest that, of 16 kids. It's amazing. I, I don't know. I mean, obviously when you go to a top notch school like Mount Union, you know, you learn quite a bit about quantitative research. I know that's and, right you know, journalism and things like that. Um, but it, it's, yeah, I think you get to know, you get a decent idea of how guys are, but, you know, you really get to know them when, hey, they're not, you have to tell them they're not traveling that week mm. or you have to bench somebody or they're injured, you know, or tough things happen where you have to have tough conversations with them. I think that's really when you get a sense of, you know, how people truly are. And, I now feel like Zach's school... got a line for this, like, like tough times don't last, tough people do, or something. Well, 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 that is true. You, you know, also, it's it's you hear, you know, uh, that hard times don't don't uh, don't build character; they reveal it, right? So that's mm. that's that's kind of what I think. Uh, you 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 hear that the depth of this receiving class, and you think last year's receiving class. This is just going to be the norm now with the way. With the way offenses are going, with with the amount of players who are gravitating toward wide receiver, uh, is is that a, a trend you're seeing? Do you believe that's the case? That each year now we'll see you know 15, 20 receivers who you can project to be like like reasonable NFL players. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm doing I'm seeing that in recruiting. Like it's hard it's hard in recruiting to find defense alignment. It's hard to find big tackles. Right. It's it's hard to find. I think there's a bunch of quarterbacks, but like the one that you like and, you know, it, that's kind of a whole different process there. But there's always a bunch of receivers to recruit. You know, like, I mean, we will we'll find them early in the process, in the middle and late. I think it's, you know, when I since I played many decades ago, you know, the game has changed. You know, I, I, I was fortunate to play in an offensive college. that was passed first, but we were the, we were the one team on the schedule that was. Now that's everybody. You know, we we never when I was in high school and in junior high we never did any team throwing in the off season. Everybody does it now. You know I mean? You're doing seven on seven year round. Uh, you know, the elite 11, the, the Manning passing camp. You know I mean? I think the fun part of the game is throwing and catching, you know, that, that's, and you can do it without 22 guys. You can do it, you know, on a field somewhere in March, you know, we're just going to continually, I think, get better at that stuff. And, and I think also we've cast a much wider net because football is a little more fun on the edges you, know, you get some basketball guys doing it, didn't do it before. You get some lacrosse guys. You get, again, I think it, it's a it's a position that's there's always going to be those body types, you know, that they're going to be good at it. You know, good basketball players. You know, guys that that have grown up running around since they were five years old. There's not a lot of guys, uh, you know, that worked on beating a double team by a center and a guard when they were in kindergarten. But everybody plays catch. Hmm. You know, so I think that's something that I, I do think that trend's only going to continue. Zach. I decided today my new pet peeve is is this line from NFL teams like, yeah, you know, there's 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 so much unknown when you're giving a guy this kind of money for the first time. Like, get, don't stop throwing the guys under the bus for how they handle their money when you made a bad pick. Like that's yeah, a, it's nonsense. Well, my my deal now for us is like Dick Vitale yesterday, like a five tweet rant about the transfer portal and NIL. Uh, okay, so it's it's bad for players to earn money for their families. That's a bad thing. But it's okay for head coaches to build three lake houses, and, right? You know what I mean? Like it's 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 absurd. Like this should be celebrated. You know, there's guys who before before they get a chance to get hurt as a college player, right, can make money for themselves and their family. 
Like, I mean, Johnny Manziel, how many millions of dollars Johnny right. Manziel missed out on, you know, that he would have made in college. You know, and, and the fact that a player can, tra- that, you know, this, this transfer portal is a bad thing. A player can leave if he doesn't like it and go somewhere else where he actually might play. Worked for Joe Burrow. James you know, and we can, Yeah, I mean, it, that's another great example, right? Like, he was covering punts for Ohio State. Right. You know, now he could be, he could and probably should be the top drafted receiver. Jermaine Johnson's going to be a first-round pick, yeah. Yep. Another guy. You know, I mean, again, I think agency for the players isn't a bad thing. I think some people, some coaches – in particular, perceive it as a bad thing because it scares them because now they have to treat guys like human beings and, you know, I'll get their opinion about things and have a conversation with them. Oh, this kid makes as much money as I do. You know, who cares? You're coaching them. Be happy for them. You know, Man. go into go into your school, change their life, even if they don't make the NFL. Well, that's great. That should be the end result you want. Spitting truth from a, from a coach. Love it. And if you're, I mean, if you're a recruit, you got a coach talking like that. Wouldn't you rather go there than play for some scumbag like Dabo Sweeney? Just, just, just my own, <laughs> just my own, my own take. All right, Coach Flynn, uh, thanks for joining us, spitting the truth and and giving us the uh, the lowdown on the receivers. We will, uh, we will obviously uh, be texting and talking soon, and and hope that uh, hope hope Tyrese Maxey pulls it through for your for your boy Austin. Go get it done. Great seeing you guys. You thanks, too. Coach. All right, thanks to Coach Flynn for talking wide receivers. Sticking on receivers, Zach, before we say goodbye. I know it's been a uh, a heavy episode, but uh, the news today that uh, Debo Samuel has demanded a trade from San Francisco, who knows if that will actually come to fruition, but uh, if you're the Eagles, what would you be willing to give up? Or how interested would you be? Well, I, I certainly In think that, the Eagles... Uh, that, that, that peach behind Debo Samuel himself. <laughs> Uh, I certainly think the Eagles are, are going to be interested. You know, I was asked in a chat the other day on The Athletic why it always seems that the Eagles are like runners-up for players. Mm-hmm. And and my answer was that what I can tell you is the Eagles are like 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 they're interested in just about everybody who's out there. They right. make they're that call. Exactly. So if a report comes out that – you know, the Eagles were another team interested. It's usually because the Eagles are calling and they want the market to come to them. And you saw that in Kaiser White. It came to them. They didn't think they would get it. And in some other examples, uh, they they you know they were outbid or their value was different than what the player got. Um, so I, I bring that up as a way of saying I certainly think the Eagles are going to be calling San Francisco about Depot Samuel. Uh, pushing Berry for the pushing Berry. I would think that you know it's I I don't think the price of Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams would be the way they would go here. And I I know that's probably what the ask is going to be from San Francisco. I would get outbid if if that's the case. Uh because Devontae you're not Adams just, was a first and a second. Yes. And and Tyreek Hill was was what? Uh was four draft picks including a first. Mm, so okay. um so I I would offer 18, right? But the thing is, is you're not just getting the player, then you're giving him like a major contract extension. Right. Um, and I don't know if 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 AJ Brown's going to be traded. I don't know if DK Metcalf's going to be traded. But it's it's not like the market's barren if you're willing to give up that 18th pick for a wide receiver. But the I I would probably start with 18. Actually, I'd probably start with the second round pick. That's not going to get it for you. Uh, and I would probably raise it to 18. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's he can he'd he'd be a clear upgrade on your team, but you got to pay him quite a bit once you get him. So I am like I guess a little bit tepid on trading for Debo. Like 
I think he's awesome. Uh, I'm like a little bit curious if if he translates to a different offense. Hmm, that's um, a good point. And I and I like I'm not trying to be a buzzkill. I think it's like you know they need a they need good players, and I think that uh, like Nick Sirianni would love to have him. Um, he would certainly change what they can do on offense. I'm like like he's not he's not Devontae Adams to what you're saying. Yes. Um, because he like he, you know Devonte Adams is the best receiver in the league and can can go anywhere. Um, I'm like my little bit curious about what what Debo would look like somewhere else, but he's also younger than uh, Devonte Adams. Like you're getting him for the prime of his career. It sounds like part of the reason he wants to leave is because he doesn't want to be used like a running back. He wants to extend his career, which which makes sense. Um, I think there's also an angle here for the Eagles where if you are giving, like if you're still pointing towards next off season and you're thinking we, we might want to get a veteran quarterback. Well, not only does like Debo Samuel help your team, but he maybe makes you more attractive to a potential quarterback suitor next off season. So I, we, we did an exercise on the athletic where we, we said uh, like the beat writers were asked what you would offer uh, for Debo for the Eagles. I said, I would offer, I said, I would offer 18, the first of their two third round picks hmm. And and the uh, twenty twenty four second round pick they got from the Saints. Hmm. So you keep it's, everything for next off season, yeah. so that you can still make a move next off season if you want. What do you think about that? I think that's a little expensive for what you. But said. if you're willing no. to give eighteen, like yeah. what you're, you're gonna you're gonna yeah, you're gonna true. stop it on a third round pick? No, I I I hear you, and and I have that same. I don't want to say trepidation because he's obviously an outstanding player, but. He's he's had one incredible year in Kyle Shanahan's offense. Uh, now he didn't do it with like an, an elite quarterback. Not that the Eagles have one, uh, but it's it's not like you're acquiring someone with the track record of production of some of these other guys who went for first round picks. Mm-hmm. And what you have to weigh it against is, I mean, not to say that the Eagles are outstanding at evaluating wide receivers, right? So that's always the risk. But would you rather uh, Jamison Williams? Yeah. Uh, would you rather Jamison Williams? On is it Jameson or Jameson? James on Curry. Yeah, that's what I, I thought it was Jameson, but then I I, I heard someone said Jameson, and let's, I think I've, let's check the views here. Let's see. Uh, and as as you're checking it out, I'll say no pronunciation on Jameson. Okay. I think it's just uh, Jameson. Yeah, would you rather Jameson Williams for four years on a rookie deal and a potentially a fifth year option, um, or would you rather Debo Samuel and then pay him twenty million a year? Yeah. I'd probably rather Debo Samuel and pay him $20 million a year. But I, I, I could see you know, the, the whole point of how these receiver contracts are becoming uh, big contracts and that there's, there's true value in having a, a productive rookie receiver or a productive receiver on a rookie contract, that, that does carry weight to me. But I, I, would take, I would take Debo for 18. All right. Well, uh, certainly something to follow. And uh, maybe we'll talk about it later in the week. Hopefully we'll have Shield back. Hopefully he feels better. And... Uh, Away we go. So, for Zach and Marissa and Deontay and Dane and Coach Flynn and Sheil and Elijah, we thank you for listening. We'll talk to you later this week. And as always, we love you.